Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. If you're not following us on Facebook and Twitter, you should do so. Facebook.com slash Two Enthusiasts, at Two Enthusiasts on the, the Twit book. If you're listening to us on iTunes, you should give us a little rating. So so the, the piece of news I want to talk to you about is um, it just came out today that Danny Eslick uh, got arrested while at uh, Daytona Beach, just ahead of the Daytona 200, which will be this Saturday, March 12th. It sounds like from the police report that he had an altercation with the officer and some, there was some sort of physical struggle, and he ended up getting charged with battery on a law enforcement officer. Felony. Felony, yeah. Uh, class 3 felony. Okay. Well, so anyway, he it was... how. This is a really nasty one. This is tough, right? Because unfortunately, Danny has been known through the the through the road racing circles as being a bit of a wild child. Yeah. And most of us love it because he has a freaking personality. Yeah. And we enjoy that, and we enjoy the fact that he it it has personality. Right. As a little wild, a little off the beaten path. And and I, I have always admired him for it because he has, I don't think he's been detrimental to the point of another guy that I just posted up a picture on the two enthusiasts fo- uh, podcast, Facebook page, Anthony Gobert, who took it to next level of like ruined his life. Whereas Eslick up to this point, it's just been, he likes to party. He doesn't want to hurt nobody, right? Right, right. But this takes it to Gobert level. You just missed out on your chance to be the three-time winner of the Daytona 200, right? You, you, he has two in a row, I believe. Two in a row. And and this would might be the third, and that's never happened before. Now, now, this is the state of the Daytona 200, notwithstanding that it's a 600cc basically shitty race well, it's and it a club has race been. now kind yeah, of. It's, yeah right I, so i hate to i don't want to downplay it and say that's why it is you know that's why he's able to do this or i'm not saying that i'm not saying that it's a, a bad thing but it doesn't have the same cachet as it did 10 years ago 15 years ago 20 years ago and certainly not 40 years ago no right? certainly not so the daytona 200 isn't that big of a deal but it is in american road racing so this is a this for us as the people that are watching it and seeing it, it's like, well, this is a this is pretty profound that he is not gonna be able to race. And why is the thing? It's like, okay, he's charged, right? I imagine he's out on bail, but he, he's gonna go before a judge. There's there's no answers for butts about that. Right, but it hasn't been stamped and he the gavel hasn't been No, he, he he's he's innocent until proven guilty. You know, and I think I think, you know, looking at the reaction from the AMA and the American Sport Bike Racing Association, which is DMG's little thing. Oh, that's that right. Runs I forgot the, there's another thing out there. Okay. Yeah, that's what that's what technically ASRA, is. Yeah. yeah, they're running the, the yep. Daytona two hundred now. Um, you know, they, they made a very quick decision on it, and I wonder how much of that is Danny's reputation or how much of that is, you know, talking to Danny and his people and being like, you know, I don't know how they came to that decision. It seems very quick. This all happened uh, Monday night, almost Tuesday morning. Um, it was right at almost the stroke of midnight, uh, right at the crux of Daytona bike week, like right where well, the main roads are, right? It's right at that main intersection height of Daytona bike week. And, and it's like you said, and I'm glad you brought it up cause I didn't really want to be the person to say it first, but that's Danny's reputation. Danny's reputation is he's a party boy. Danny's reputation is that he enjoys, uh, having an adult beverage or two or three. 
Um, I've talked to a few guys that have raced that came up through the ranks of CMRA with him. I've talked to a few people in the AMA paddock with him. And, you know, that's that's his rep. And all of them said the same thing. If if only he could stay out of the bars, if he could take his fitness seriously, if he could take his racing seriously and treat it like a business, he could go so much farther in his career because his his talent on a motorcycle is world level. But the fact that he's never put the time and energy into developing his skills like world level athletes have done and, and treated his, you know, his body with, you know, the same kind of respect in terms of diet, in terms of training, in terms of conditioning and, and, and the mental side of it, um, you know, it, it, it's held him back. And, and I think now we're seeing a direct, a direct consequence to, to all that. And it's unfortunate. So he, he's had a long storied career up to this, at, at this stage. I remember being at one of his first races as a competitor, I wouldn't even call it a competitor. I was circulating. He was racing. I was going to say, you guys raced around the same time, didn't you? Well, this was, dude, this was early. I think it was him and I believe he either had a brother or somebody else that he was racing with that was either family. And I, uh, it was 600 club. This was in 2003 when he was a young gun. And he was a young gun that was, I think, being brought in by the Team Hammer, uh, John Ulrich. I don't even know what you call that, Borg. Right. Uh, so anyway, he, yeah. He, so, a, I mean, a, we're talking, it's like the Borg cube of the AMA. Yeah, it, it scene, is right? kind of yeah. right. So then you, you watched him. I have been watching him over the years, Matsushima racing, which was a, a big deal in the, in the mid two thousands, almost getting factory rides, but not like he should have had a factory ride. And there was, I'd be like, why isn't Danny Esler getting that ride? And, and me, because I'm like, he's a good old boy. Right. He he talks the talk and walks the walk. He's he's kind of part of this Oklahoma mafia that was going on for a while. There was a bunch of really awesome racers out of Oklahoma. Between them and all the the Kentucky and the Middle America good old boy style, like I'm expecting people like that to trickle through. But the good old boy system in the AMA has always been, and from my view, having been in it from racing or being a mechanic, there is definitely a clear. We like people who think God. We like people who go to the chapel service on Sunday morning. We like American Honda. They won't admit it, but they definitely push for the the clean cut ish kids, right? Nikki Hayden was one of them, and then but he would have the cornrows, right? He kind of skewed it a little bit. It was interesting. They were having to deal with. He's not a. He's not a millennial, but it was like that was the first that was the first salvo of kind of young funky kids at the time that were, you know, just trying to be different that weren't going to be like all the dudes up up to that point, just just white bread, but maybe with a little funkiness. And it, there hadn't been anybody that was really truly funky. I don't think since Gary Nixon. I think it had been seventies and eighties. It started to get washed. In the 80s, you had Merkel and Chandler and uh, uh, Lawson and and Schwantz. And I mean, some of these guys were wild in their own ways, but they kept it, you know, Wayne Rainey, they kept it at a low boil, if if so. And and the only times that you would hear about it is if there's something of note wild, like there was a Freddie Spencer story when he was a young kid that I'm not going to repeat. But there's some things that you hear and you're like, I don't know if I believe that one. But it, it, people would let loose. Whereas when by the time Esla came in, in the mid 2000s, you had Uber athletes had already in, and come through Uber. So the Boston brothers, 
from a health standpoint, uber athletes. F you to anybody that says that those guys weren't in the best condition of pretty much every racer out there. They took it really seriously. So did uh, Matt Mladen. So did Jamie Hacking. So did, I mean, most of those guys took it really seriously. Ben right? Spies. Absolutely. Right. You, because they had to, the game was upped so much and to the point where you wondered about some of them, like, all right, is that guy taking human growth hormone? Is that person having to do different things? I mean, they, these aren't people roiding up, not all of them, but that was the type of thing as like, Hmm, they're, they're taking themselves so seriously, their bodies so seriously that there might be performance enhancing drugs going on here. That's how bad it, I, I saw it. I, I didn't actually see anything happen, but I always wondered because these guys are really impressive. They get off a bike after a, a, a 50 kilometer race and barely, barely winded. Some of them are just good at what they did. Right. Steve Rapp just was awesome at training and you could tell he, he would get off a bike barely winded. Right. So Danny Eslick, I don't know. I never really paid much attention to him other than on track. And he was always awesome to watch. He let it hang out he was a little loose. He could, he could pick lines. He, he didn't need to have a perfectly sharpened scalpel of a bike. He could be out there on a broadsword and make it work. And it was cool to watch, but somewhere in there, he didn't get a factory ride and over and over and over, he wasn't getting a factory ride. And it made me wonder, you know, what, which, which aspect of it was, was preventing him from that? Was it a story from Siebkins? Was it a story from, from, you know, just as his homeboys talking about the wild times they were having back home in, in Oklahoma and it just trickled? I don't know. I never really heard anything other than he liked to have a drink here and there. Right. And anytime I saw him, he was amicable and jolly and it wasn't like he was a shitty. Did you see the, um, did you see the mugshot? No. Oh, you got to see the mugshot. We should put it up on the Facebook page because he's got this smile ear to ear. Yeah, I bet he does. You know? And I, I, that's what I, knowing him, even though I don't really know him at all, he wouldn't know me from Adam. He would probably recognize me as that long haired dude that worked at Graves. That would probably be the extent, right? But being around enough of these people, I know that that guy is a, is a, a good hearted person and he probably just got completely in the wrong place at the wrong time. And got asked up and the cop was probably being a dick. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to say it. The cop was probably being a dick and then it escalated and it shouldn't have escalated. You're trying to really push it. I'm sorry. I was like, no, it doesn't work. Right. So if it escalated, uh, then, (laughs) then, then then there he is. But I know it wasn't from an evil, I want to kill this guy. It was probably self-defense or I feel like I'm getting pushed into a corner or, you know what I mean? That's, that's yeah. my opinion. I mean, I read, the, I read the police report and it really, I mean, it doesn't sound like that. There's, there's always two sides to, to the story. I just look at it as it's, it's midnight going on midnight on a, on a day, Monday night, on a Monday night, a Daytona bike week. And you know, just, you know, it's just drunk debauchery. You I, shouldn't, he shouldn't have put himself in a position to be there. Right. Well, and that's the thing I think. And that's, and that's kind of where I want to go with the conversation. Cause there's this, there's this desire, especially like like by hardcore racing fans, where they want those like those good old days when men were men, and you know, like swig a whiskey before a race. Yeah. No bullshit. Like that was a thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Jack before the race, flat tracking it was a common deal. Right. Little little liquid courage. Good old days. Oh man, I don't know about that. Well, yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. Like, there's a romanticism to like what racing was in the past you know with two stroke bikes two stroke gp bikes and we were flat track racing and this bike nearly killed me and you know kenny roberts scott russell 
Um, when men were Wayne men. Rainey or not? Um, no, Barry Sheen. Barry Sheen. Thank you. Thank you. You're right. Yeah, Barry, Barry Sheen, like the original Playboy, right? Yeah, um, and if you watch the movie Rush, this is a good example uh, of a time, and this is in the '70s when James Hunt, Hunt the Shunt, right, was he was the wild child of the F1 paddock, and Nicky um, uh, Lauda. Yeah, Lauda. I was going to say Villeneuve, but it was yeah, Lauda wasn't right. He was the Teutonic Austrian, going to get this done in a methodical engineer way instead of the freestyle i want alcohol and pussy and race cars that was the hunt thing and that's trickled down and people still kind of want that you got to have in in order to have the the good the the ideal you kind of have to have a bad and then unideal right so i mean there's got to have this in nascar who is it tony stewart is that the one that it's kind of a bad boy. There, there, there has to be. Well, there's always, there's always no, like Jeff. Jeff Gordon was the bad boy for a little while. Dale Earnhardt, yeah. for sure, the, the intimidator, intimidator, right? You know, you got to have that. So why would they say, "Oh, and Danny Essick, we're just going to have to keep him from racing this year"? It's like, why just let him race, and then the trickle down will happen. The, the he'll lose a sponsor, or they won't let him race, or God forbid, he will be a, a felonious race winner. <laughs> I don't know. Does it matter? I don't think so. I, I would I would want to see him go. If it was he uh, sexually assaulted somebody, yeah, absolutely. Done. Gone from the paddock. Fuck you. Don't come back. But in a situation where anybody could be put in this position where you're in Daytona Beach and you've got these cops having to deal with I mean, hundreds of thousands of people. I don't even know if Daytona is big yeah. any longer. And 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 I don't think you can say in the same breath saying that that, you know, the the assumption would be that Danny probably had at least a little booze in his system, so he's probably not making the best of decisions in yeah. the process. Sure. Um, but but th- does that mean he shouldn't race? Yeah. Well, he's going to pay his penance somehow. Right, and that that's for the legal system, not for the AMA. Well, that and that's and I think that's that's a good a good thing to talk about because how much involvement should the AMA or Moto America or whomever have on, um, on the riders and control their personal lives? Because like I was actually I was trying to do the research before you came over, you know, um, like the Yankees have a have a dress code for for their. Sure. They're baseball players that they can't grow beards. I think the the NFL, the National Football League, has a dress code for when players are traveling. They have to be in suits, suit and tie, because there's there's just a certain oh dude aesthetic I, that they want or a certain professionalism that they want the the sport to have. So sure, no, that, even even the mechanics on the race teams when we traveled for for from uh, Van Nuys to whatever racetrack. This is Graves. We were in Yamaha. We had to wear our Yamaha branded gear in a very specific way all the way from from door to door when we were traveling as a group as a team that was just part of the deal that's of course what you should do because what's right and and that that would be a similar thing for but dude, the racing is not it's not even close to that now whatever this race is that you're about to see this 200 there there really isn't is there any factor involvement and if so right that's that's the thing that's confusing me if it was the real AMA Daytona 200 Superbike race, and it was at the height. Yeah, I, I would expect that. I don't think you can completely dismiss the the Daytona 200 as as not being a serious race. Like, yeah, is Graves going to show up with you know the factory backed Yamaha? Are we going to see a factory backed Honda or or Triumph or whomever there? 
Um, no, but you know, you are seeing some of the better Moto America teams showing up. Danny was riding for the uh, TOBC Yamaha Racing. It's a very good outfit. Um, you know, you're having riders like Jeff May show up. You know, the uh, I'm trying to remember the rest of the grid, but you know, you're having top ten, top. You're not convincing 15. me. I'm sorry. You're not convincing me at all. Yeah. I, it's it's okay. It's not club racing, but it, it, it's somewhere in between. It's an intermediate, barely. I, I guess, unfortunately, I I've I I wouldn't say tainted. Well, that, and that's the struggle of the Daytona 200 right now, and that's that's one of the things before all this went down. The AMA actually sanctioned the Daytona 200, so now yeah. FIM licensed riders can come to it. Which was weird to see. It. That was very interesting that they just they did that. Well, I, I mean, obviously, it was good. It was good. It came, they came to an accord, and I think I think the you know I'm sure there's there's a business side to it, which is my code word of saying money changed hands, but. <laughs> there, there is, there is probably some some value in saying like, hey, this is the Daytona 200. This is one of the most iconic races in the American landscape. It's one of the most iconic races, uh, motorcycle races in the United States. What can we do to at least have this race continue with with heritage and stature? And you know, one of the good things you can do is say, okay, well, let's sanction it through the AMA, which means that any FIM yeah. licensed rider can come over, which means that you can get. I think that would work out like BSB riders could come over if sure. they wanted to, but certainly, sure. I mean, not that MotoGP or Superbike riders are going to, but some like the World Endurance guys, there's there's definitely been talk of how could the Daytona 200 Let, fit into this the back end. World Endurance Championship. Oh, that would be so rad. You know, that would make it legitimate. That would be awesome. I mean, you, you start bringing in the factory Yamaha, <sighs> the factory trick. Honda. Quick change, real yeah. stuff back to what it should have been before it was a neutered, shitty 600 race over the past, I think it's been a decade. It's been a while. It's been a long time. I mean, one of the hard things is just like the tires. I mean, it just chews up the tires. Yeah, well, you know, so quicker, more pit stops, forced pit stops, whatever. You're going to have to deal with which, it. Which right? I don't really mind. I actually like pit stops sure. in racing. It, it, it changes things up. Sure. So, um, we can go down on a rabbit hole, that part of racing. Bottom line is it. It, it still has enough prestige that we're, we're talking about it, right? Right, right. It's still relevant. It's still relevant. It's not like it is a club race, so okay, I got but it. But of course, if it keeps going the way it's going five years from now, maybe we'll be... I think I think it's getting to that point where Pike's Peak is now, where it's one of those things like, yeah, you talk about it, it's been going around here. It's like, people people still running that? That's that's still going on? Do they even let fans... Who Who's racing there? Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't think I'm going to cover Pike's Peak this year, to be honest. Because of that reason, it's just like, huh? Who's racing there? Oh, it's just Honda's guys are going to be there. Ducati's going to have their own class that they race themselves in. And, you know, yep. sport bikes have basically been outlawed. So, I mean, that 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 that's the risk. And I think that's that's what Daytona Motorsports Group is looking at right now. Like, hey, you know, we're at a which way are we going to go? Sure. And I'm sure I haven't talked to Michael Locke about this, but he's the CEO now. He was here a few weeks ago for the one show and we had a conversation about um, flat track because he's, that's the main, that's their main property thing right now. now that, yeah. They're out of all the things. So uh, the dirt bike stuff has all been, I don't know how you call it sanctioned out or uh sublet or it's kind of like been parsed out to different, well, different you, parties. How you, huh? How do you call that? So Moto America it has either rented or leased, or I don't even know how you say it said, okay, AMA Pro Road Racing is ours for now. Like they have that for a certain amount of time. So does and I can't remember the name of the Supercross entity that uh, it's Feld or Felt or something like that. They have that. Well, 
The only thing that's left that they control is flat track racing. So maybe this was a this way. This is DMG. DMG, right? Uh, they do well, hill climb too, I believe. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. But that's unfortunately kind of a, eh. Yeah, it's a weird one. T- tell me tell me who won the, the AMA Pro Hill Climb Championship oh, last yeah, year. Yeah, t- tell me whoever ever, right? I only know a couple names. It's bitching. I can't even name one No, person. it's bitching stuff. I'd love to see one. I've never seen one. Yeah. And we should make that a goal to try and find We should. One. All right. Anyway, so the... If if he I, I think he probably had something to do with this because it's in their backyard and they're like hey really if we, we've got to we've got to sanction this we've got to say we've got to get something at Daytona because it makes no sense why we're the Daytona Motorsports Group and yet right we're, they're running a club race here and we we haven't put any uh, any AMA saying I, I bet there's something going on there and hopefully it'll turn into something good eventually hopefully hopefully um, in the meantime I think there's still going to be that debate of how sterilized motorcycle racers are and this is one of the things that we have we have probably more of a conversation about in the moto gp paddock where um you know there's a lot more contracts at state like i know the tire manufacturers and this this is moto gp and world superbike both pirelli bridgestone and now michelin carefully control what the riders can say about their products and, and the same goes with teams regarding their bikes sponsors regarding their their equipment or their apparel um and, you know, if you look, uh, if you come into the MotoGP um, media center on, on Thursday when, when the event's starting off, like you'll see a list of times and everything's very scheduled out on when you can have your five minutes with the rider. And that's as a group, by the way. And it's like, OK, so, you know, Lorenzo will talk in Spanish at this time and he'll talk in English at this time, but he'll talk to the TVs at this time and he'll talk to radio at that time. And it's very, it's very regimented. Superbike paddock's a little bit more free for all. You kind of go in to the garage and pick the rider or pick the team member that you want to talk to when they have a free moment. But it's still, you know, it's, there's still a lot of control there. Like you won't get a, you won't get a, a world superbike rider to say anything bad about a Pirelli tire, um, which is funny because we had a lot of tire issues at Phillip Island. You know, so so we see we see some riders in those paddocks that that have personalities that kind of get whitewashed, and I think that's. That's maybe one of the reasons why, like, Danny Pedrosa is so hated and Jorge Lorenzo is so kind of hated. Well, I think Jorge kind of brought it No, or he's not hated. He tried. He tried, but the problem is he tried to be... He, he tried to copy Ross. He just copycat it, and I think that's where a lot of people got in trouble. But like, like, Danny Pedrosa is actually one of those writers that I really enjoy talking to because he actually has a good personality. The, the thing is he's just... He's not an outgoing person. He's an introvert. Um, but, and he was under the thumb of some some shitty people for... Most of his career. Right. So only in the past few years but we'll do we just, get to see once the, the puppeteer strings were cut. Um, we, that's what we always joked him. He was a little puppet, right? We always called him the little puppet from from even before he crashed out Nicky Hayden and became a pariah to everybody that loved Nicky Hayden. He was a puppet, and you could see it. It was obvious. It was Honda, Spanish, Repsol, puppet, right? Well, now, every once in a while, and you have brought it to my attention more than anything, is he's actually kind of cool he's all right my wife hates him with a wild passion and it has tainted my view of him for years so it's been tough to kind of want to like him but then you get marquez in and you know he has a bit of a personality but it's not like wild child personality he just his enthusiasm is there which is like rossi's enthusiasm you want that you want somebody that's more than just an automaton robot that says the bike was good and the tires were good and i'd like to thank my team right right which is how which is how some writers are, sure. unfortunately, and, that, and that's sure. the natural gravitation. And I think there's there's a balance there. Like you know, look at you can look at like someone like a Danny S, like who who maybe has too much personality for his own good, 
or, and you can look at some writers that, that are so kind of whitewashed through the system that it strips them of all the personality that they have and it doesn't shine through. Um, and there's a balance in there because I'm trying to think of the writer off the top of my head, but Honda HRC is notorious for, for canning riders that, that spoke poorly about their bikes. Um, Rossi. Well, I mean, he didn't can, well, but they, they, he's been given the big stricken. I mean, he's not going back to Honda anytime soon. No, right. No, um, was, I want to say Marco Melandri, Max Biaggi. That's what it was. And, and Max Biaggi sort of, I mean, Max Biaggi's, there's a lot you can say about Max Biaggi. But, <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but, yeah. but one right. of the things, the one of the things for Max was <laughs> when the bike wasn't exactly the way he wanted it, he, he had a very hard time riding around it or, or adapting. And he never really had that filter. So when he came back, oh, Max, why did you finish fifth? Oh, because the bike was shit today. Well, you know, that that kind of ruined his time at Honda and it kind yeah, of ruined sure. his time at yeah. Yamaha. And, you know, just kind of like eventually in the MotoGP paddock, he was just basically unemployable because no one wanted to it's an interesting deal with a Max Biaggi issue. And then he ended up at Aprilia and Superbike. Doing well. But the juxtaposition is, okay, so he... I remember I was saying earlier that Esla could take a bike that was a broadsword and not a scalpel right. and make it work. Right. But he's also wouldn't talk shit about it. He he's the type of person that would say, Oh man, the team did great today. I just did I just couldn't get it done because he had been I wouldn't call that whitewash, but he had been trained to be able to say that without saying, Oh man, that piece of shit Suzuki. Right. Whereas Biaggi, Biachi, as a lot of people used to call him, would get on a bike and just whine and moan and almost stoner, almost Stacy Moner esque. Right. Oh, no. And that's a, that's a thing, right? You know, what do you like that? But then some people did and they remembered him when he was the quote unquote Roman emperor, when he was going up against Rossi in the two fifties and he was, you know, challenging and, you know, being, being pretty badass. Cause by the, when, when did he, win? he won a world Superbike championship a long time after he won the two fifty championship. He he had probably one of the best spans of a career that you could ever have. Even to this day, isn't he still and, and pretty truth, fast, dude? Truth be told, because I think he did some some wild cards last year, I believe, and did quite well. And that's one of those things. Like, I think if he wanted to, and Aprilia gave him a factory spec bike. I mean, Aprilia and Superbike right now is not a yeah. very factory effort at all. Sure. But you know, he he could hop on, you know, a factory bike. He'd be just fine today and be top five any racetrack. Any racetrack, you know, and you put him at, you know, one of the Italian circuits or one of the circuits he's he's better at, and I think you know race content, race winner contention for sure. Um, but so here's my question to you though: so athletes, whether they like it or not, become role models, and one of the things that we need in the sport of motorcycling is to get the next generation of rider, the next or maybe two generations away of enthusiasts at the racetrack, watching the races, getting hooked on this as a sport, as a hobby, as an, as a passion. So, so what do you say to the idea that like, in, in response to Danny Eslick or, or, um, you know, like the, the Barry Sheens of the world and then those more outspoken writers saying like, well, you have to kind of curb what you're doing because you're going to be a role model to some five-year-old kid. No, no, I don't think that's, yeah, he's going to, he's going to be the antagonist. He's going to be the not an antagonist. It's just going to be a different human being because there's all kinds of different human beings. They can't all be Wheaties box, freaking Ryan Dungey, boring shit, right? They have to be, there has to be some wild people that offset the, those, those types that are, okay, this guy's the straight and narrow. 
You get somebody like Trey Kennard. I'm going into dirt bikes because this is a very interesting dynamic in the dirt bike realm. It's the same thing. Thank you, Jesus, right? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Or I want to thank God. Oh, it was God that put me up here today. And I loathe that stuff so much because it it implies that the other racers didn't have God on their side, right? Or it's just an iron, the, the irony of it all. Just It's just horrible for me. God but, was having a slow day, so he took an interest in a Supercross race. Yeah, right? So I, I hate that so much, but that's what you're getting, and that's what's being fed to the general public. That's part of the that's part of the narrative that they want to tell you. It's like, oh, this is good old boy church going, and he 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 loves Jesus and he loves God, and the, he's he's appreciative of what God gave him. <laughs> yeah, okay, so he didn't give it to the other thirty guys on the on the you know, lined up anyway. So that type of stuff, though, is all right. You got those, but then you have to have the wild child. You have to have the guys that ride loose and you know what they crash and they win or been and they're you know that's a cool thing kevin schwantz he was not a wild child as far as getting arrested or having major problems like that but he was the guy in the track that you knew was going to mix it the f up and it was going to be awesome to watch and he built so many fans myself included that wanted to watch him win as opposed to watching steady eddie lawson and wayne rainey in, in perfect step everywhere they went, hitting the pole line everywhere, getting it right everywhere, riding the ultimate machines that were always pretty damn good. And there's Kevin on this piece of shit Suzuki, overriding the crap out of it for the bulk of his, the latter part of his career. And everybody loved him for it because it was amazing to watch, right? But then there he, he's the one crying at his at a press conference saying I can't race anymore because his wrists were so fucked up and it was horrible to watch, but that's what gets you in. That's draws you in. That's the passion. So did somebody like Danny does this, that's a different type of dynamic because I still think he needs to be the wild child that shows up and races the Daytona 200, you know, the week after getting arrested. I love it. That's a great story. <laughs> it and, is a good story. I, and I don't story. think that, uh, you know, if a five-year-old to 10-year-old to 15-year-old kid is listening to this, and, and here's the story. They see uh, Aunt Danny, he did a little bit of a mea culpa uh, on Facebook. This is the first time I heard of anything. Somebody liked this post that Danny posted. It was like, oh, I'm sorry for everything, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, uh-oh, what happened there, <laughs> right? I had no idea what it was, and I didn't have time to look it up. And then not long after that, somebody started talking shit about between Scott Russell, Aaron Yates, and Danny Eslick. Because all three of those have gotten into fairly gnarly altercations that have caused them to have issues at Daytona. Well, Scott Russell, I'm pretty sure, got into a little bit of a shit fight and then still did well. Maybe not. It might have been the year that he was on the Ducati where he got almost killed uh, at the start line. If I don't know if you know that, but that was a really nasty dude, one. I've seen the scars. Uh, no, dude. Because we, we, Scott and I hung out in Germany that's when right. we were doing that. I so remember you talking. Okay. We got to, we got a good, a good bonding session over our war wounds. If he, it, had, he had significantly more than I did. Yeah. He, he <laughs> probably has one of the worst war wounds that any motorcycle racer, dude. him and Mick Doohan probably are the nastiest. Oh my God. They almost died. They almost had to have amputated legs. It looks like a lion was just chewing Mauled. on his his thigh and his mauled, leg. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine being in it at the time when that happened, you know, watching the video? Ugh. I guess if, if somebody, if, if you're a listener and you're interested, you probably, it, it's really one of those videos that I don't like watching, uh, but his bike either stalls on the start line at Daytona 200, and I'm pretty sure it was the Ducati and not the Harley. 
God, it's hard to, it's weird that, it, yeah, it's, it had to be the Ducati. So he, it stalls, he puts his hand up and somebody that was way back in the field because a Daytona grid at that it's time was really yeah. large and it, they at full speed hit him like glancing blow, not like direct ass packed because if that actually probably would have been better, it would have catapulted him in a different way. This is like a glancing blow where it just ruined his leg. Anyway, that, that, that he, he had been known for being a bit of a party guy, but in a different way, not quite as, or maybe it was just because it was in a different time. And I, think, I can't remember I think it was the a different Yates time one. because, because Scott's a party guy. Sure. And in a good way. And people love him for it. And he was love rad. Scott. Love the Scott screaming Russell. chief, man. Oh, these riders, you need to have these types of guys, right? Cause he offset the Miguel Duhamel, who was just a fairly even keel French Canadian lying about his age guy. Right. <laughs> and then you had the, Jamie James, the Raging Cajun. Oh man, these personalities were so cool back then. And we haven't had that in a really long time. And I miss that. And I think that's, that's something that's good. Well, you know that when I was listening to you talk about Kevin Schwantz and, and Freddie Spencer and all them, it reminded me, you know, to, to, to modernize it, it reminded me of why, like, I'm really not a Jorge Lorenzo fan. I, I am in supreme awe of his riding ability. I think he's one of the most talented riders ever to get on a GP bike. Yep. Can't but, deny it. But man, when I see him leading into turn one, I just turn off the race. I don't actually turn off the race. That's hyperbole. But it's one of those things where I just go, oh, nuts. They're, they're so much for a good race. And I remember sitting in a press conference, um, MotoGP press conference, and the weekend before he had won the race, and he'd done one of his perfect races where it was every lap a hundredth of a second off the one before it, yeah, near sure. best lap pace the entire time, just a supreme uh, free exposition on ride a, on how to ride a motorcycle at a MotoGP level. Boring as shit. And it, you know, just total <laughs> snooze. And no one asked him any questions no. during the press conference. They asked about the, they asked the riders that finished second and third, and I forget who they were, but they, they were focusing all the questions on them then because they had, they'd had a scrap for it. It had been, it had been a yeah. battle behind yeah. it. And then the next weekend, the race I was at, it was, it was reverse. You know, he barely got into to third place and people were, were asking him questions. Maybe he got in a second. I forget, but uh, he didn't win the race. That's for sure. And I remember he made this line about like, you know, you know, last week I win the race and you don't yeah. ask me any questions. And today I finished third and you know, you won't leave me alone. Like, what, what is this? And it's, it was that idea of like, you don't understand that when you go out and just put in perfect laps, no one's entertained. No one's th that this is, that this is sport as entertainment. And you know, like the, the idea that like when you, when you fight for those laps, when like, and that's one of the, I think the reasons that people like Mark Marquez so much because he's on that ragged line, he's pushing for every inch, he's banging elbows. And I, Rossi was like that too. Okay. Yeah. So we need to hold on, hold your thought there. This was, I, I always thought in the early 2000s, especially when MotoGP started with the four stroke era, that Rossi would do that on purpose. I, I agree. He would qualify poorly. I agree. Or put himself in a position where in the race he would have to fight. And that was what made him was that we would all wait with bated breath to watch him skype through the field. And it was so good. What's right? the Mark Marquez race that everyone talks about? The Moto2 race where he starts from the back of the field yeah, and by sure. turn okay. one, he's yeah. like 10th and he's just blowing through. Yeah, Those yeah. are the races that people will talk about sure. for the ages. Yeah. No one is going to give, I, I can't even think of one off the top of my head because I don't give a shit. No one's going to remember the race where Jorge Lorenzo led for every single lap and won the race. They're never going to remember that. They're going to remember when he went to 
to Aston and broke his collarbone and came back and put in an amazing effort to finish fifth, I believe. Yeah, sure. Um, they're going to talk about the races where you start from behind and you overcome great odds. They're going to talk about those lap, the, the last corner passes to win the race. Uh, Hareth is famous for those. Um, they're going to talk about Rossi getting gritted at the back and having to come through and almost kind of almost win a championship and put a nice asterisk by Jorge Lorenzo's fake championship for 2015. No, I, don't, I don't agree with that statement at all. I don't agree with that statement at all. <laughs> but we're going to talk but, about but, that but, more than we are the, the races that Jorge, Jorge no, won. And I think that's one of the things that Jorge never learned. And it's always, it was it was always funny to me because it was it was kind of around that time. I mean, the, the years are a little off, but you know, he was kind of into his movies and he he kind of had like these little movie themes and he had like his little gladiator kind of thing. And I'm like, well, what's What's the line from Gladiator? You know, where where Russell Crowe? Are you not entertained? Yeah. Like and I sit there, and like, did you learn nothing from this movie? You know, if you're gonna be the little pop culture boy, you better fucking learn from what you're watching. Um, and, and it always reminds me of I, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up as a kid, I was really into professional wrestling. You know, professional wrestling. Not at all. I'm sorry, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's all. there's no reason, and I laugh at it now. But but wrestling caught on to this idea that. It's it's sports entertainment, but more importantly, this is the male version of a soap opera. <laughs> and there's good guys and there's bad yep. guys. And NASCAR yep. figured this out too. Yep. And and when NASCAR attendance started going down, they started realizing like, hey, we don't really have as many as many crashes, as many brawls. We don't have we Dale, don't have- we need you to start bumping. <laughs> exactly. And they and they literally said, Hey guys, we're no longer going to to give you infractions. We're no longer gonna penalize you for for rubbing his racing. So, so the gloves can come off again, you know, and it, and it was interesting. It was interesting to watch a professional motorsport body do that and, and, you know, say what you will about NASCAR, but from an entertainment perspective, both on the track and off the track, they figured out their program. And I don't think motorcycle racing has figured that out. I think we're stuck very much in the way motorcycle racing has always been. Um, you know, some, some of my favorite races are the races that you know, in the GP level are the ones that kind of went weird when we had like that tire issue at Phillip Island, or we had that weird grid at Saxon ring. And, you know, there was a lot of passing. There was a lot of things going on the, there was a constant upheaval of who was in the lead and who was going to win. And it left you guessing until yeah, the end because but it, it's life and death, man. And that I, do you mean that literally or figuratively? No, literally in motorcycle racing, it's life or death. And it's not like the car racing is completely like it's not like that's not dangerous. No, I'm, I watched Dale Earnhardt Sr. die on live TV. Sure, but think about all the crashes that happen in, sure. in NASCAR and how safe those guys are in their cages. It's not even fucking close to motorcycle racing. But think of how many crashes happen in, in MotoGP or Superbike with virtually no consequence. Absolutely, but that is you're way closer to death on every possible up, not just death, but dismemberment and paralyzation than you are racing around in a cage and. Uh, the formula one is way gnarlier for me watching these guys with these open cockpits. Holy crap. Have you seen the new cockpit thing they're trying to, I've seen it and I get it, but no, this, that takes away from it, right? That it, I think that takes away from it. I, I get the safety thing. You got to make it safer. It's been pretty freaking safe for a really long time. You know, Jules Bianchi passing was horrible, but shit. Think about how long it had been right since Senna. So, eh, I think we're okay considering the amount of fast laps done by human beings on really, really, really fast tracks with really, really fast cars. Same with the motorcycle racing. It's horrible when somebody passes away, but that's what makes it profound. That's what makes it racing. That's what makes it, 
That's what gets our hearts racing is we know what those guys are doing is really freaking extreme. And it, and it makes you look at your own mortality. Well, that's, that's the argument for the TT, right? That's, that's yep. the argument that I have sure. with my colleagues that are against the TT. And they say, well, it's like a blood sport. It's like, a, you know, it's just, yep. and it is, it is one of those weird things where it's the only race I've gone to where statistically speaking, I know someone's going to die. On average, two competitors die every year at the TT. Sure, sure. Now, some years there's none, and some years there's there's quite a few. Yep. But you know, it, it, as a journalist, that's that's an interesting thing, um, and and maybe I approach it differently because I dealt with death in a previous professional capacity. I've dealt with death on personal levels before, but it, it is interesting. Like we don't, I think, as humans, especially in Western society, we we don't deal with death very well. You know, mm. so we're very risk averse and, and things like the TT and motorcycle racing as a whole, but the TT, especially like you talk to these riders, like the reason they're out there is because of the risk almost. And, and, and that's what drives us. If, if, if it wasn't risky and dangerous, what would be the point of doing it? And that, 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 that's kind of like a shitty thing to say, but it's also kind of the truth. Like if, if climbing Mount Everest wasn't hard, if people didn't climb or die on a regular basis, climbing Mount Everest. Would it be such a big deal? No, oh, and that's the quote. The classic quote from Hemingway was, there's only uh, three true sports, and this was at the time in the 20s or 30s when he wrote this, was uh, uh, motorsports, mountain climbing, and bullfighting. bullfighting. And Which, to be fair, some evidence he didn't say that. What's that? But I, that, That's a quote that's commonly attributed to Hemingway, but significant evidence that fair enough so either, but either way it. it's something but, that but the, it's a note it's a quote of note yeah and people people in motorsport have have glommed onto that for a long time and it's the the point of it though isn't it's that most of those things were all you're you there's a significant chance you're going to die sure at the, especially when he wrote that back in the time sure you know those of us who know better look at it like well anybody that fights bulls the way they do and that i've seen it's cowardly and horrible so that's that strikes that right off the fucking thing for me so nope but motorsports, mountaineering, now any adventure sport, there's so many things that you die pretty freaking quick doing it. But we've glamorized them over the past few decades and it's made it extreme and it makes it interesting. And that's what people want to do. And, you know, free will. And I, I there's that there's that video I think you posted the other day of the guy mountain biking. This was from Red Bull Rampage, by the way. And, you know, just for people who haven't seen this video, like, you know, the guy's going down this course and you know he's making jumps and you don't know where he's going and he's about to take this big drop and he just kind of lets the bike go and the bike ends up getting stuck on the ramp but if you look at it he was about to just he was lined up for a jump that was just going to take him off into oblivion because he should have been going you know the other direction or should have been veering a little bit more to the right to make a different landing and you look at that and like the guy like he kind of like walks back up the hill grabs a rock and just kind of has a moment because that was that was a split second decision that he made that saved his life and that's or saved him from being paralyzed. Cause he probably would have just gone off of a blood. Oh, it could have been horrible. Sure. The sure. very, that would have been a very different video. Yep. But that's part of what makes that, I mean, Red, Red Bull likes being in these lurid sports where these dangerous sports, these, these things where you have to tune in because I don't give a crap about downhill mountain bike racing or BMX or any of those things. But as a, as an, uh, an enthusiast of just awesomeness. Yeah. Like I have to watch that because it's just and gravity and yeah, sure. So go, let's just try and come back to it with, from on the Eslick side, 
how 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 does this fit in to you in your in your view of what happened with him? Is he really does that really have much to do? Does him having a problem on at Daytona Bike Week and at night away from the track, completely separate from the motorcycle racing, have an, uh, enough to do with the racing to cause him to to not be able to participate? You know, I got I can see it from a couple ends. I can see it from a couple ends, and and you look at where the Daytona 200 is, is not that different from where Moto America is. So I can kind of see why the AMA is, yeah. is treating it this way. Yeah. And you know, these are two series that are, that are at such a crossroads or at such a precipice of their future. And that future is contingent on, on money. It's contingent on getting factories to come in, which means getting um, more sponsors, which means more advertisers, which means TV deals. So I can get the business side of it where they say like, Hey, we don't want anything that's going to screw up like American Honda coming back into the sport or Kawasaki getting back into the sport or, you know, a Rye Helmets being a, uh, a marquee sponsor or Motul or, or sure. whoever. Sure. Um, Let alone outside industry sponsors that might look at it and say Red Bull, Monster, yep. GoPro, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is a, is a great example because Coca-Cola um from a business side like if you watch any coca-cola commercial or look at any coca-cola ad they all have to be about family and friendship and good old southern values this is a company based out of atlanta georgia good old southern values of sharing a wholesome moment around a coca-cola or with a coca-cola have a coke with a friend every every design brief for their advertising has those basic elements in it so you're never going to have a coca-cola at an event where where a Danny Eslick is involved, because that's just outside of it. It's, it's like Disney, you know. It's that same idea. Like, how long did Disney resist having alcohol in its in its parks because they didn't want that wholesome nature lost? Um, so I can get it from that perspective, but then I get it from the fan perspective, where it's like, give me a reason to watch this. Give me a reason to care, because right now we have the the state of motorcycle racing is that it is only watched by hardcore motorcycle racing enthusiasts, not even motorcycle enthusiasts. You have to be a motorcycle racing enthusiast. There are guys that own motorcycles that do not watch motorcycle racing because it's just not their jam because we've, 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 we've pandered to the, the, the base as it were, we've pandered to the hardcore fans so hard. And we haven't really given anything, um, to, to the fans that are that are more on the fringes or, or that are more in the mainstream. And I think that's motorcycling's problem in the U.S. as a whole, where it's just, I mean, when was the last time you saw an ad for a motorcycle? Was it during some sort of motorsport event? Was it during a motorcycle race? Was it during like a motorcycle show or whatever? Because that's the only time I ever see them. Occasionally you see them during prime time, and the brands that do that are, are usually Harley or, or... I saw a BMW ad at some point in time recently when it when it was weird. And yeah. I don't remember what I was watching, but it was a BMW ad. I'm like, whoa, that was interesting, we, right? We don't go searching for people outside the industry. And we don't, br- and more importantly, we don't bring anything to people outside the industry to get them hooked. That's one of my biggest problems with... Um, I mean, I'm, I think it's good that BN Sports has Moto America, World Superbike, and MotoGP. So at least there's one channel that has all the motorcycle racing. And they're doing some some good content around that and they're trying to get some some other shows like i know they're sponsoring uh, a few kind of reality shows that are based on motorcycle racing so they're gonna trying to have like motorcycle content to make it worth your dollar but the issue is is that there's no opportunity for for joe schmo sitting on his couch 
at 9 p.m. on a you know Wednesday night to like stumble across a motorcycle race and be like, hey, this was actually really entertaining or this was really good. That Denny Eslick guy, he's got quite the character. You know, it's like like if you turn into to professional wrestling and watch it for three minutes, you'd be like, huh, that Undertaker guy, he sure is a dick. But that Hulk Hogan, he's I like the cut of his jib. You know, um, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> was but, that Rowdy Rowdy Piper or no? Who was that? Who was the snap into the Slim Jim guy? Uh, Rick Savage. Oh. <laughs> snap into a Slim Jim. Oh yeah, oh yeah. All right. Well, I, I know enough to know that. It's almost like I know enough to know uh, who who that one ba- ba- baseball or basketball player Roethlisberger was. Like I I know just kind of enough. <laughs> to, to well, talk you're not, about you're not, you're not so much of a ball and stick guy no right? i'm not but it's the same goes for the nascar shit right it i, but I you know who dale earnhardt jr is. i do i know i do know not enough of a few of them right because some of them have a crossover you'll see uh, gordon go to some of the road races or uh super crosses they'll and they'll put them up on the thing and show you know kind of say hey this is a, a really famous person in motorsports and he's there watching because he he loves the dirt bike races right and they'll do that crossover stuff every once in a while. But I wanted to address one part you were talking about with the NASCAR slash WWF, which again is the, um, the show, the, the show, but really the fakery, like what I consider fakery. Uh, when, when we're watching these guys race around Talladega or whatever, that, half of me is like, this is all contrived bullshit. Cause I don't truly believe, even though I know, how awesome those cars are and how good the technology is and how good those guys are with doing what they're doing, going around in circles. I know how difficult it is, the pit stops, the strategy and all that shit that, but there's something in my heart that tells me it's all fucking fake and I hate it. And I hate that, that I, I have to think like that because, and I don't enjoy it. And then it goes to, towards that when I see the only time I see it, because I'm not paying attention to this stuff very often. I'm not going to watch one of these races I've tried I it's is when it comes on a, like the end of a Sunday, it'll be on either the evening news or it'll be somebody will posted the fight on Facebook or the, the altercation in the pits and the guys doing the, he's running through the paddock to go beat up the guy that cut him off or blew him up or, and when you, when I watch that stuff and that is what ends up making the news is when the guys end up getting into fist fights after the race. And it's just, for me, that's lowest common denominator, boorish, stupid bullshit and I do not like it and I think it makes everybody look bad not that it doesn't happen in the in the formula one paddock in a weird passive aggressive way but <laughs> yeah. it, it it's it I, I think it's better it's more gentlemanly gentlewomanly whatever in the formula one and on in and racing in the European side and open wheel I, I just don't like I, when I see that stuff in NASCAR. I, I just, it reminds me of WWF, which again you liked when you were a kid. You watch it. I, I didn't. I don't. It's all. It's all show. It's all fake. It's all theater. I don't want. I don't want tough guy theater. I want. I want real. I want to see that. And that's what road racing is. And like you can't fake it. I think that goes back to my point of the the death thing. That's what I was trying to say. And we 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 went off a tangent. But you can't fake this road racing, and you can't fake dirt biking. You yeah I guess you can but uh, the the road racing thing I I have not seen a situation where you you can fake it I I don't well, I don't think and that's one of the things that I think is is really interesting like I think the TT is a great example of of one of the rawest and purest pieces of two wheeled motorsport that we still have and I love the fact that like you go into the grandstand and 
uh, at the TT, and you can walk right up to any of the top team's um, little pit paddock areas and, and stand there and talk to a mechanic while he works on a bike. And uh, you know, if you stand there long enough, the rider will come out eventually and have a conversation with you just like a normal human being. And they're very approachable and it's very open. And I think there's an element of, of the danger and the mystique of the TT and, and that race and that course and what that, that what kind of person has to go ride that, but still have the approachable level of it. Like I remember John McGinnis cooked me a hot dog the first time I interviewed him. Like we're literally standing by his, RV, his, his little <laughs> RV bus thing, his little oh, coach, that's so rad. his yeah. motorhome coach. And he's, and he's just like, did you, I got an extra hot dog. Do you want a hot dog? Are you hungry? And I'm just like, <laughs> That's so awesome. You know, like, can you imagine, like, Valentina Rossi, never going to cook me a hot dog. Never going to happen. <laughs> never, it, it, it's the same kind of thing. But but like, when you look at, like, Guy Martin, you know, like. He'll make a, you a cup of tea, right? He'll make you a cup of tea if you can find him. I mean, he's he's kind of <laughs> he's kind of wily and hard to track down. But but talk about a personality that resonated on such a huge mainstream level. Because, oh, like, yeah. he's, he's like, like, you can you can get a little old lady on the side of the road in London and she's going to know who who Guy Martin is. He's got a little show on BBC and he's doing other things and he's become a household name just because of that quirkiness and that 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 personality that he kind of beats to his own drum. And some of that like has been to his judgment like it's cost him rides, it's cost yeah. him sponsors sure. because he doesn't do the PR thing and he's not doing uh, he's not fulfilling all of his con- contractual obligations, at least that's the rumor. But uh, arguably it's made it's been more successful for him over the long run. Never won a TT race yet. One of the most talked about TT racers. Exactly. Right. And you look at, and you look at, uh, uh, Michael Dunlop, you know, and he's, he's got a, 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 a rough personality is probably one of the better ways. He, he's very, <laughs> he's a very focused person. Yeah, yeah. Very intense. Brash. Brash is a good word for it. And, and, you know, and, and his relationship with his brother is intense and that, you know, and that's a great story. And even John McGinnis, who's, who's kind of like one of those more whitewashed, like he works for Honda. He's been a Honda boy for a long time. Yeah, sure. And, you know, like he, he toes the line and he does his PR thing. Cause that's, you know, he's made a name for himself in this realm, but even he's, you know, you can get some good quotes out of John. Like there's not as much of a filter on there as there say is with, um, even with all Mark Marquez and MotoGP, you know, it, there's sure. a lot more leeway. And that's one of the things I loved about the TT. Like, I think that they've struck a great balance on show versus a platform for sponsors and marketing and and because because let's be honest motorcycle racing is a marketing event that's what the money showed up for that's that's what your job yeah, as a racer is that's why monster energy is sponsoring it so heavily and right right they're getting eyeballs on product right. and that's that and that, and that and that's that's the that's the inconvenient truth or that's the the lie agreed upon in the space where it's like okay well this is this is how we're going to sing for our supper this is how we're going to keep you know, doing this thing that we love so much. And, you know, I think there's racers like, like Casey Stoner who, who just didn't buy into that or, or didn't understand it or didn't want to, to be a part of it. And that's why he's no longer in the sport. He just wanted to go race on Sunday. He didn't, but wanna, he did that on his he, own volition. It wasn't because Honda no, or Ducati no, 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 or no, no, whatever no. eked him out. He finally just said, I, I can't take this. Every time I make a, a complaint about a bike, everybody says I'm whinging, which is true. But at the same time, you know, he was being more real. Uh, than most people probably would be. I loved having Casey in the paddock. He was one of the most unfiltered people you could get there. Unfortunately, everyone took his 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 things that he said in a negative light, and that's that's as much Casey's fault as anyone else's. Yeah, he else's. just didn't he didn't sell it very well. 
You know, right. where, where, where I think other writers in the past, they, they were able to say, they were able to, to portray it in a way that was more favorable to them than, than Casey did. But, you know, like he was kind of the last writer that you could like tell it how it was. Not to say that like there, there aren't writers like that, but there's yeah, not like, not like him. Not, not like him. Back to the TT. One thing I'll say about the TT. It's like when we talk about different types of conflict in life in general so there's there's man versus man when it comes to sprint racing right or or even endurance racing but there's the element of man against machine man against the track man against the elements man against nature right there's a lot of interesting uh, with the tt there's not as much man against man it's that person on that machine trying to get around that track as quickly as possible and yeah, every once in a while they have to interact with another rider, either as they're being passed or be, or they're passing the the person that was let go. What ten seconds ahead of yeah. them? That's the thing. If you if you're encountering another rider on the course, it's because you're either significantly slower right. or significantly faster than that, them. That's what I'm saying. So you're not. It doesn't matter if you cross the line in front of them, it, it, right? It, that's what I'm saying. You're racing against the clock. You're racing against the course, which is different, man. And a 37 mile course. I mean, that's what makes it so epic. Is that it? It's where else does that happen? Not that nothing like it, nothing, nothing that has sustained at least. So that, that does make an extra level for me of awesome is that I, I, as much as I like competition, I really like racing the track when I'm, when I'm riding what I get enjoyment out of, there is a bit of the death defying thing, but mostly I like clicking off laps and beating the track. I'm not really you know, it's happenstance if there's people around me. Yeah. And if I see somebody in front of me that I know I can get, I want to get them, but that's that's but what not to say. the point where I'm going to put myself at risk. And I think that's a big difference between somebody that can really ride fast and is a is a number one, or somebody that can really ride fast and is a top five. And I'm a top five person because I don't have that extra bit of I will put my body and my motorcycle at risk to pass that person. Yes, I've done it. I can do it, but it's not my default position. It's not when I get the red mist, I'm, I'm a little bit more, yeah, yeah I want to live the next day. That tra- that plastic trophy isn't isn't my jam, right? I'm, I'm not really that bothered. Whereas we what we want to see on TV is the people that are getting paid fuck tons of money to put themselves and everyone around them in risk to win that race. And that's... That's, that's what I think is kind of the boiled down. Right? That's that's the modern day gladiator. That's literally the definition of it. And that's why I think that's what we need. And I want that, Danny. I look. I want to know that there's a guy that's been lit up enough to where he will fucking punch a cop, and he <laughs> he is next to you on the banking going 180 miles an hour. I love it. That's what I want. You know, that's what's. I mean, it's it's conflicting. There's part of me that's like, yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> but at the same time, I know that's what would take. That that's what we need to keep the the level high. Did Dale Earnhardt Senior get in the fist fights? I don't. I I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe there are a few of them that did. You know, but were they drunken to a cop? Probably not. Right. The, they they pick and choose the narrative a little bit differently. Right. It's it's gonna be it's gonna happen in the paddock. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get gnarly there, and that's maybe where Danny Eslick should go, pick a fight with you name the other racer. But no, I don't want to see that either. I think it's unfair. It's like hockey. People are like oh, I can't wait for first couple minutes of the hockey game to see all the fights. I'm like that sucks. I want to see them play a game. I don't want to see them beat each other up. I don't. I personally don't like that. Whereas most people I know that love hockey, that's what they want to see, right? They want to see the gloves come off, and it's like I, I I'm not big into it. To wrap this up, Quentin, I've got one last question for you. 
Are you watching the Daytona 200 on Saturday morning? Probably not. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. I mean, I will, but only because it's for work. And if Danny Eslick was was racing, I'd totally watch. But now I'm be like, nah, that's sorry. kind of the thing, though. Like in a way, like you know, you talk about like, oh, you know, I don't want, I don't want this to be staged. I think NASCAR is kind of staged. Like when I saw it, I was like, what a great way to promote the race this weekend. Otherwise, I think a lot of people would have forgotten. But Danny <laughs> Eslick getting arrested, it's got us talking about it. Yep. It's got people interested. It probably will be the a good cynic, race. The cynic in me. Oh, if, it's always a good race. If any one of you that hasn't watched a Daytona 200 that might be listening because you're a motorcycle enthusiast or you haven't watched in years because you think 600 racing sucks or whatever it is, I don't watch know, it. I don't understand that, first of all. Like, I hear a lot of people like, oh, bring back the superbikes. Like, the 600s are just as exciting. I like, I would rather be a superbike race too. I'm not going to poo poo it just because they're on, you know, oh, I am. I, I, I am. I all will. Right. We're going to have to disagree Having on been that. On it, in it and watching it from like, there's a picture of me taking the rear axle out of Jason DeSalvo's Yamaha R6 in 2007 or something at the Daytona 200, hanging on my wall in the in my office. I I I've been in it. It's great. It's cool. The 600s. Yeah, it's still good racing, but it's nothing like the Superbikes. It's just, I guess, knowing what it takes and having raced a motorcycle at Daytona knowing how gnarly it is even racing a 125 i would i can't imagine what it would be like on a thousand right i can't even I can't even fathom it and that's what makes it worse than the 600 feels like it, if i took my 848 there i'm like yeah that would be okay that would be fun i think it would be an enjoyable ride but thinking about taking a panagale there seriously scares me it like would make my heart jump just to think about exiting the 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 chicane oh my god and having that thing burning up the rear tire all the way around oh that's that's something very visceral about the extra power corrupting acts absolutely right and it, it corrupts and it would be horrible there burning up tires i've watched i've been there when people have had tires pop i mean it's a bad deal and and that's that's part of the extremity of it. So yeah, they do need to work on it and make it better, make tires better, whatever. Then figure it out. If we got to do a bunch of pit stops, okay. They had to do pit stops for front tires a few years ago. If you remember the Jason DeSalvo situation yeah. where he won on the Ducati because the front tires were going. Well, you know, whatever. We'll we'll just make a bunch of pit stops. The pit stops, especially for a mechanic like me, are what make the race. You know, and if we can get really trick stuff back in the day, they would do eight, 10 second pit stops. Yeah. I mean, the shit that was on those bikes to make that possible was unreal. And I, I'm going to have to find some video of, of those pit stops because it's really imp right. impressive well, stuff. I mean, the, and that was one of the things of why the, the teams hated that race so much on the calendar. Oh, the because because of the expense, <laughs> because you basically had to build a, a Daytona bike for and the then, whole year. And then build... It was half your, your budget. Your, yeah. Ha half. Because it's all the trick. Because if you... Cause you you, you know, crash. When you're literally costing yourself seconds in the pits. Yep. You know, you have to spend the money to get the ultra trick stuff so you can get that yep. eight second pit time versus like some of those teams, you watch them and it's like like 30 seconds, a minute, you know, whatever they're they're doing because they're just OEM, whatever Ish. parts. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's that might be forever. a worthwhile thing. I mean, to if talk I was about. doing it, my tire change would take half an hour because that's <laughs> just kind of where my level's at. We should talk about that sometime because it's an interesting thing. Yeah. We'll save that for another podcast. I think we'll just end it right here. And um, kickstands up. <sighs> Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> if you have uh, questions, you can email us at two enthusiasts at asphaltrubber.com. Uh, give us a little likey like on iTunes. 
And may your kickstands forever be down. <laughs> Good talk. See you out there. Later. Is murder a felony? Yeah, yeah Melanie. For Mel- Whoa. 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 Felony <laughs> Melanie. <laughs> uh, nuts. Let's uh, <laughs> get me in trouble later for reasons the listeners don't need to know. Um, yeah, murder, murder is a felony.